And I'm going to read the first four verses of that because we're up to verse four. So it says this, Psalm 101. I will sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate. They will not cling to me. Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. Um, And so we're calling this series How to Live a Blameless Life. And as we keep saying every week, it sounds like it could be quite a heavy thing, but it is not. It's really about living the right way, having a right heart attitude to God, doing the right thing as an attitude of our hearts. And uh, um, three weeks ago, Clive started the series and and it really emphasised that this is a positive thing and it's about our response to God because the first verse and the first talk was about sing, singing to God, responding to God. And then two weeks ago, Alison Barry talked about value, that living a blameless life is about our values and having right values and they're the things that endure when things get tough. And then last week, Antonia talked about kind of look, the things we see and the inputs into our life. And I'm really carrying on this morning where Antonia left off last week, where she was talking about people, really, and our relationships. And that's our focus today. Let me read verse 4 again, just to emphasise it. It says, Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. So we're talking about relationships, which is such a key part of our lives, aren't they? We very rarely kind of go a whole day without talking to somebody or engaging with someone. You know, I dream of days like that, but it just hasn't happened for a long time. Um, You know, people are really uh, influential in our lives, aren't we? You know, you think about sometimes we choose to go and see films or listen to certain music or go and see a particular band because somebody's recommended it or people, women mainly, I mean, kind of we ring up each other and say, oh, you know, I had this invite you know, what are you going to wear, What's, what, what does that dress code even mean, or kind of things like that, and we, we, we relate to one another, don't we, and people are hugely influential, and they can be really influential, both good um, or bad, so, you know, lots of people can remember a teacher at school who was really influential in their life, they encouraged them, they taught them, they, they kind of spurred them on, you know, I remember for me, I remember my, uh, my modern languages teacher, he just created this atmosphere in the classroom, where you felt confident just to have a go. And, uh, and it was kind of great, and it's really helped me. And people can be influenced, influential for good, but also c- people can have negative influences on us. And this is something that David recognises here. Here he is trying to lead a blameless life. And the challenging thing that kind of David highlights is not the fact that there is this concept of a different life, or, or kind of bad or wickedness or sin, just as a sort of abstract theory, the problem is that people bring this abstract theory into reality. It's almost like a a kind of a disease, you know, like those films you get about epidemics and stuff like that. The the challenge or the the kind of catastrophe is not that there's, you know, some um, terrible, you know, disease or illness the other side of the world. It it kind of kicks off, doesn't it, when a monkey holds on a plane and spreads it all over the world or somebody travels and carries it. And David sees... um, sin and wickedness like that. It, it needs a host, it needs a body, it needs somebody to show us that it's real. You know, most of the time I can kind of live my life completely aware that there are establishments known as takeaways in existence, and it doesn't really impact me. 
But, you know, on a Friday night or a Saturday night, when my wife says to me, ooh, I fancy a takeaway, well, it's like Pandora's box has been opened. There's no turning back from that. Suddenly, I want one. And, you know, I'm down the takeaway quicker than you can say, sweet and sour chicken with egg fried rice with some crispy seaweed on the side, please. <laughs> People are what influencers and bring these things into being. You know, I don't go to work at the start of the day thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to have a good gossip today. I'm going to be really critical about some of my colleagues. That's not the challenge. The challenge is when everyone else around me is having a go at such and such a person or having a, a gossip. That's what draws me in, and that is the challenge. So it's about relationships and the way people influence us. And I think this is quite a, a dilemma, quite a challenge for those of us trying to live the blameless life. There is a balance to be had, because on the one hand, we as Christians are called to be different, called to be holy, called to be, well, blameless. But we're also called to be people of influence. And that requires exposure to, you know, by definition, those who need influencing, those who aren't living um, the blameless life, who are living a different way. And sometimes it feels a bit like you're a, a, a sort of salesman and you go in to try and sell something to a, you know, a business or something like that and you leave with more than you took in. You know, you go to try and persuade them to buy something and you end up buying something yourself. Or um, I used to be a student worker many years ago, and, um, and there were kind of times I'd go around halls of residence and talk to students, talk to them about, um, about Jesus and about faith and things like that. And on more than one occasion, I, would, I spoke to a group of students in their room who, um, well, let's just say were smoking something they shouldn't have been smoking. And there I am in this room kind of trying to bring influence and trying to talk to people about Jesus and, and in the same time, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, desperately praying that in the midst of it, I'm not going to get stoned because of what they're, they're speaking. You know, I know there's some kind of credence for men of God getting stoned, but it's a whole different sort of thing in the New Testament. And so I'm going in there to influence, and yet there's something in this atmosphere that's trying to influence me and uh, lead me a, a certain way. Again, when I was um, training to be a teacher, I remember um, doing a, a, being assessed, teaching my class, and this lesson went really, really badly. And uh, my, my tutor, who was assessing me, sort of said to me afterwards, he said, look, this can either go two ways. Either you win or they win. And it's got to be you. And it can feel like that, you know, sometimes in life. I feel like, you know, we talk to people and trying to influence people. But all the while, there is this influence coming back to us that can lead us astray. This is how Jesus puts it in Matthew 16, verse 6. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In other words, you need to be careful about the teaching of these kind of uh, religious groups because they will get inside your thinking and they will grow. Well, Jesus put it like this in Matthew 5 and verse 13. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Uh, I'm no scientist at all by any stretch of the imagination, but I believe, I have been told that salt is kind of fairly stable as a kind of compound and it's not suddenly going to turn into sugar or, or anything like that. Actually, what stops salt being salty is when it gets mixed in with other things. And Jesus is encouraging those listening to the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you need to preserve your distinctive elements. But it is a challenge, as I say, because the culture around us affects us. I've said I'm not much of a scientist, nor am I much of a linguist. I'm not, you know, many things. But, um, you know, I, I did a bit of French and German when I was at school. And, I, you know, occasionally now when I go to France or go to a German-speaking country, if I'm there for long enough, 
I don't know about you, but you kind of start thinking in a foreign language. I know people who speak languages fluently experience that. But even just with my, you know, pidgin French and German, like the, the kind of when you're in that atmosphere for a few days, little kind of words, generally a sort of mix of English and French or whatever it might be, affects as you start kind of thinking differently or you think in a different language, in a different culture. And, uh, and this is the challenge. Um, so we need to be careful. Like Antonio was saying last week, there is no kind of neutral worldview. In, uh, in Korea, there is this kind of uh, place between North Korea and South Korea called the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone. It's like this little stretch of land. But spiritually speaking, there is no DMZ. There is no neutral place. I've had discussions with people before about kind of bringing up children, which as, uh, as Christians, we want to bring up our children with a... Um, uh, a Christian worldview, a way of looking at the world which acknowledges that God is real and he is for them and he wants a relationship with them. And lots of people say, well, I don't think you should kind of bring up children like that. You should make them, you know, let them be free to choose. And, and you know, I suppose that might be a nice idea, but there is no freedom to choose. You can't, uh, if, you, if you kind of don't teach your children that God is real, then by virtue you're giving them a worldview in which there is no God, and God isn't real. There's no neutral zone. Either you kind of look at the world in a way which says God is real and he cares for you, or you kind of bring your children up to have no knowledge of God. There is no neutral ground, and there is no spiritual neutrality. And this is what David recognizes. Here he is, trying to live a blameless life, trying to live for God, and he recognizes that, that kind of those who aren't like that, he says, men of perverse hearts shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. Or this is how the Apostle Paul put that sentiment in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, well, yeah, but what about Jesus? You know, it's often said of Jesus, he was a friend of sinners. He kind of went to parties. He hung around with some shady characters. And all of that is true, but Jesus also walked on the water and raised the dead and cast out demons and did lots of phenomenal things. And also, significantly, Jesus regularly retreated up the mountain. He regularly spent nights in prayer. There's a sense in which actually Jesus could do all of those things because he would frequently withdraw and recharge his batteries. It wasn't just like he was kind of unguarded with himself or, yeah, I could do this all day long. He felt that need to go back to the Father. And of course, before he'd been, uh, he came to earth as a man, he'd spend eternity with his Father. The point is, Jesus still felt the need to retreat. And as I said before, there's this, there's this balance. And I think sometimes you see it in churches. So there's some churches which are very kind of hard line, you know, this is what we're about. And the only way we're going to preserve our values is to have nothing to do with anyone who's different. We've just got to keep ourselves to ourselves, this kind of siege mentality. And then there are other churches, particularly some of the kind of bigger modern churches in America um, that are quite fashionable now, which is, it's all about the relationship. We're not going to talk about doctrine or emphasize what we believe because that brings the divide, that kind of stops us having relationship. And I guess there is, there is a point in the middle where we have to sort of find a, a line where actually relationships are really important, but actually we need to continue to believe what we believe. And for me, it was expressed really well. I heard someone giving a definition about 
about grace and what the difference between grace and tolerance is. And I found this really helpful. And they, they said tolerance just kind of says, it's all right. You want to do that? That's fine. You believe that? That's okay. That's great. Grace says, actually, you know what? That is, that is wrong. That is not a good way to behave. But you know what? God loves you anyway. It says God is passionate for you, really values you as an individual. But actually, I can't agree with how you're living your life. And that is grace. And somewhere there is that necessary line, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks' time um, as we go on in Psalm 101. But to be people of influence and to be able to influence doesn't mean we have to accept how those around us are behaving or conform to it or just try and keep our heads down and ignore it. Actually, if we, if we do that, then we're not being people of influence. Or Jesus said it like this in Matthew 16, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What, what point is it if we, if we kind of, you know, are trying to, to kind of bring a positive influence or get somebody to come to church, for example, but in the process, you know, our, we are knocked off course in our walk with God. And it kind of comes back to the question that Alison posed a couple of weeks ago. What is it that we value the most? What is the most important thing? And actually, you know what, to be people of influence, I don't think it means we have to, you know, laugh at the dirty jokes that people tell in the office or go out uh, on the lash with our kind of uni mates or anything like that. I don't think it means we need to watch mindless trash on the telly just so we kind of have some point of reference with people we're talking to. In my experience, it means we need to take an interest. Actually, if you just go beyond the surface level of conversations in, in the office or in your workplace or with the people you know, and actually say, how are you doing? You know, that kind of health problem you had a couple of weeks ago, how's that going? You know what? I find that so different to so much of society now. That has a really powerful interest. And in fact, I would say our greatest strength as people of influence, as Christians, as those trying to live the blameless life, is what makes us different. The greatest strength that we have is what makes us different, is that, is kind of what we get out of our relationship with God, of all the benefits of knowing Him. And actually, if we, if we lose that, then what have we got to offer? I don't know whether you've ever had this experience, whether you know, it's with family or friends or in your workplace, where people really kind of say, oh, I really um, appreciate your, your kind of hard work or your honesty. I really appreciate how friendly and kind you are and just kind of what a great friend you are. Just wish you weren't quite so, so Christian. I wish you weren't quite so fanatical. And they don't get that the kindness and the generosity and the hard work is because we are so passionate about God. Hey, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be nicking the stationery just like everyone else, you know. If I, if I wasn't into, into kind of God, then I wouldn't be such a good friend. I'd be, you know, talking about you behind your back just like all your other friends are doing. That somehow, you know, we need to appreciate that all the positive things that we bring come out of our relationship with God and living that blameless life. And if we kind of, um, you know, try to put them to one side for the sake of trying to, you know, influence, then actually we've got nothing to say. We lose our credibility. You know, it's like sometimes there's a temptation for, for churches to do this thing. Oh, you know, we need to be more relevant. What is it that people in the world like doing? They like kind of, I don't know, going to the bingo or something like that. And so we'll, we'll put on a bingo night. And it's just like, well, why 
why will we kind of do a poorer version of what the world is doing just to draw people in? Actually, why don't we do what only we can do? You know, what you can't get in the bingo halls. Why don't we preach the gospel? Why don't we talk about a God who loves you with, you know, undying love? Why don't we kind of offer to pray for people so they might be healed? Why don't we offer genuine relationships to people? Let's be what only we can be and not try and kind of water it down or put it to one side for the sake of, of you know, connecting with people. could talk some more about this, but actually if you want to know some more, you could read the Old Testament. It's all about that and how God's people, Israel, just, you know, wanted the benefits of being God's people without actually being God's people. The point I'm making is we are most influential, most relevant, have the most to offer to this world and the people of it when we are living this blameless life. And so we need to be on our guard against wrong influences. We need to be on our guard. Like Jesus said, be on your guard about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And there's this sense of being on duty. And I don't know about you, but I find that quite, it's quite a hard work when you, you have this sense of being on duty all the time. At work recently, a piece of work I was doing had to be audited by our internal auditors. And it was this four-day process whereby you know, like every kind of hour or a couple of hours the, the auditor would ring me up and say, oh, can I come up? I've got another question. And, you know, I probably only spent, you know, a couple of hours with the auditor, but this kind of process went on four days. And I was just, I, I realized at the end of it, it was quite a, a, strain, a strained process because I was just waiting for the phone to ring. I was just kind of thinking, what are they going to find now? What am I going to have to kind of justify, justify or answer a question? And there, there's something kind of which is hard about being on guard. And you can understand why Jesus would retreat back to be with the Father. Um, and for me, it speaks about the importance of those whom we are most intimately associated with having the same heart and the same approach to life. You don't want to be in your home with you know, the, the people that you care about the most and having to be on your guard about, about their influence and what they might bring. And I know, you know for some people here this morning, there, there is a challenge because um, for whatever reason, you're, you're, you might be married to somebody who isn't a Christian, who's not the same heart. And that's really a difficult thing that the person with whom you are most intimate and who's your confidant, you can't kind of be completely open. And that's a real challenge that, you, that you're in this situation and, you know, and encourage you to continue trusting God. But actually, if you haven't got to that point and you're you know, in the process of looking for somebody to spend the rest of your life with, why on earth would you choose someone where you have to feel like you're on guard all the time, who you can't be open and honest with, who is of a different nature and a different heart? Actually, it's not even just about marriage, but about our best friends and the people who come alongside us and we trust and we look to for advice and guidance. Well, actually, if the, the, their way of looking at the world is completely different to our way of looking at the world, how can, we, how can we have that kind of relationship? And I don't think this is even actually about Christian or non-Christian. Actually, it can be true when you know, we are on fire for God, but actually the, the people around us are, are you know, lukewarm at best. And I've been in, in Christian leadership and I've been in ministry too many years and I've seen it too many times. And maybe, just maybe, you're going to be part of the 1% that, that kind of comes through that. All right, but actually, most people I meet, I've seen too many people just drawn away by lukewarm Christians that actually sort of draws them down or just kind of away from God. And, you know, I feel like I might be laboring a point this morning but, you know, this is so significant. 
And it's a daily experience for us in all sorts of ways. And it might be overt, it might be subtle. You know, it might just be your, your, your kind of family and the way things happen in your family. Um, one of the great things, one of the things I love about doing marriage prep with people when they're getting ready to, to get married is talking about, well, what was stuff like in your family? How do you see um, disagreements resolved? How do, you know, what happens in your family? And just making the point, you know what? Your family doesn't have to be like that. You know, just because, you know, your experience thus far is everyone goes and visits, you know, Nana on a Tuesday tea time. That doesn't mean you just have to kind of conform to that or other things just because in your family this is how... Uh, decisions are made, you know, you are a new family, you can decide how it is. And so it might be subtle things like the way we do things, or it might be a negative atmosphere in our family, or somebody who's always critical. Um, and you know what, we don't have to accept that, and also we can try and be positive. Like, uh, like we were saying before, like Tone said last week, there isn't a spiritual neutral zone or a DMZ. And actually it's not enough in the face of negative influences just to kind of keep our head down. Actually, we need to try and bring a positive influence. And there's ways in which we can do that. And it might be hard work, but it requires investment. Or it might be in our, our you know, housemates, the people we live with. I can definitely think back to when I had housemates when I was at university and living with a mixture of people. Actually, I had to make some tough choices about what I would get involved in or not. Um, and, and that was really difficult. But actually, I, I, I was aware, even as a young Christian, of the influences and how some of the choices I made would affect my relationship with God. And again, I kind of opted to, to try and do positive things to set a different atmosphere. Um, remember a housemate of mine at the end of my, uh, this kind of year living together, she, uh, she said, she was a Roman Catholic, and she said, oh, Steve, I really want to say, I just think it's been a really great testimony, the way that you always kind of clear up and do people's washing up. It's, it's kind of really great. And uh, I had to confess to her, I wasn't trying to be a witness, I just didn't like a dirty kitchen. But, you know, there are kind of positive things we can do to set a different atmosphere. Or at, at work, you know, there can be subtle things that will draw us away. I've, uh, um, in my time, I haven't had as many jobs as Clive, but in my time, I remember Clive's just done every job in the <laughs> world, isn't he? So apparently his favourite job was when he used to uh, fit those sliding uh, doors and, uh, you know, the sliding mirrors in bedrooms. He just said, one of those jobs you could always see himself doing. But um, I've had a number of... I, I did... Clive did... Not, I have to say that as, as leaders, we met just before Clive, um, Clive left, and I was nominated to be responsible for puns while he was away. So <laughs> just want to discharge that duty that I've been given. But oh, at work, you know, I, I remember I worked in a factory uh, when I was a student, and, uh, you know, the, the kind of bell goes at half past five for the end. Around about five o'clock, there's some people who start kind of clearing up their workstations and kind of go and wash their hands. And then they've got the perfectly timed how, how long they can take to walk from their workstation to the clocking out machine, just so as the bell goes at half past five, they're there ready. It's just like they've, they've just nicked half an hour off their employer, you know, with that faffing. And it, it can be easy to get caught up in that sort of thing. Or, you know, in other places, it's about humanistic way of thinking. Um, and, you know, I think my experience is that actually all, all the investments... <laughs> I've had the fact that I sort of spent a number of years in ministry before I um, kind of worked in a, a regular job actually really helps me to be aware of those influences. But sometimes, most people just sometimes just need to go to the toilet and brush it off and just say, right, breathe, smile and breathe, like Clive was encouraging us. Or it's, you know, even in society, I remember listening to a guy on the radio complaining about speed cameras. And he was saying, you know, these speed cameras are just a way for the government to get money out of law-abiding motorists. And he just didn't kind of quite clock that, actually, if you're a law-abiding motorist, 
You don't need to worry about the speed cameras. But the culture is that speeding, that's not actually really breaking the law, is it? It's just a, a small thing. And we can all get caught up in ways of thinking like that or paying cash for workmen to avoid giving it to the taxmen in VAT. And sometimes we just have to make tough choices to set a different atmosphere, to be positive. And sometimes it's inconvenient, but that's what we need to do. We need to be diligent to make those tough choices. And at the end of the day, actually, lots of us will know people who have kind of not carried on with this way of life, and who've, who've gone astray. And sometimes I'm just you know, tempted to say to them, well, you know, how's that working out for you? You know, you used to be so passionate and so on fire and heard you preach and lead worship and do all sorts of things, and now you're nowhere. How's that working out for you then? You know, you're feeling like you've got a better quality of life, you know? Are your children really benefiting from kind of not having that exposure to God? You know, now that you're not tithing, do you really feel like you've got more disposable income? Actually, most of us would recognize living the blameless life, pursuing God with all our heart is the best thing we can possibly, possibly do. So we need to guard it carefully. Let me summarize and then, like I said, we're going to pray and there's a number of things I'd like us to pray for. We need to be careful about who we let influence us. We need to not let our God down. We all need to make sure we have people we can trust and we can be unguarded with, really. And actually, you know, maybe for some of us we need to make some adjustments so we've got some positive alternatives and people who set a positive atmosphere. And we, in the face of challenges and kind of the temptation to be led astray, need to set a positive atmosphere. We also need to not dilute the distinctive characteristics of a blameless life in an effort to be relevant or try to change people. And actually, the final thing to say is just it's really important we look out for each other and be inclusive. It's not about just saying, you know, stop hanging around with those people and stop doing that. Actually, we need to be the positive alternative for for people. I think that's one of the great things about us as a church, being a cell church. There are ready-made groups of people to, to be in relationship with, to be open and to be honest with. And so I wonder whether I can ask us to stand and to to pray and respond to some of these things. I've just got four things I want us to pray about. And the first um, first one's quite a challenge, really, but I think there's people here this morning who just need to repent, actually, for pursuing wrong relationships or investing in relationships which you know you kind of went in with your eyes wide open, and you know this is going to draw me away from God. And I, I feel like, actually, there's people here this morning who just need to repent. And when we repent, it's about agreeing with God that actually this is unhelpful, this is wrong, this is sin, and I'm going to choose to do something different. And, uh, and if that's you this morning, if while I've been speaking, you felt a sense of, of kind of convictions, word we use, you feel like actually that Steve's putting his finger on something that I recognize in my life. I'm just going to um, give us 30 seconds, a minute, and I just encourage you in your own words to say sorry to God, to, to be specific. Say, Lord, I'm sorry that I have invested in this wrong relationship. I'm sorry that I have knowingly and willfully let this, pe- this person or this group of people take me away from you. I am sorry Lord, would you help me to put that right? So 
Um, just kind of, you know, under your breath for 30 seconds. If that's you, I'd like you to, to kind of talk to God and say that to God. We're going to move on and pray for the next thing. Second thing I'd like us to pray for is about wisdom and discernment. Praying for wisdom is a great thing to do. It's one of those things the Bible promises. Actually, if you lack wisdom, you can ask God and he'll give it with you. There's a promise of God there. And I feel like we need to ask for wisdom and for discernment about how to be, how to behave. You know, some of us are in, in kind of family relationships, particularly or with housemates or um, people we're married to or in relationship with. And we recognize, actually, this is just not helpful. This, this, this person and this atmosphere doesn't help me to, um, to live uh, this blameless life we're talking about, to live for God. It doesn't help me to, to live the, the best that God has for me. So, and, and for some of us, we're in situations where it's not easy just to, you know, uh, to kind of extract ourselves from that situation. You know, family, we're, we're part of our family. We need to honor our parents. So I pray for wisdom and discernment and actually for, for us to ask God to, to help us, to make us aware of where the pressure points are for us. So, Father, I want to pray for us all, Lord God, here this morning. I want to pray that you would help us to be wise, Lord God, in how to respond in the face, in the face of temptation, in the face of people who are living a different way and, and kind of encouraging us to live that way. Lord God, I want to pray that you would give us discernment to spot it early on and wisdom, Lord God, to take a different course of actions, to know actually how can we, how can I set a positive atmosphere here? How can I bring a different influence, Lord? Third thing I want to pray for is protection. Father, would you protect us, Lord God, as we are here this morning, as we've resolved, Lord, I want to live a blameless life. I want to pursue you. I want my heart to be after God, Lord God. And I want to pray that you would protect us from the influences of the world around us, from the influences of, of kind of lukewarmness or other voices, Lord God, from the influences of our, our colleagues and our uh, classmates, Lord God, the influences of, of other family members maybe who don't know you. Lord, would you protect us and help us, Lord God, to live this blameless life. And finally, Father, I want to pray that you would enable us to be people of influence, Lord God. I pray that we wouldn't just you know, try and be hermits, Lord God, or, or kind of hide from the crowd because, Lord, the, the reality is people need to know you. People need to uh, encounter Jesus and they do that through your people and through us, Lord God. Father, I want to pray how you, you would help us to be a positive influence, Lord God, to, to, be, uh, Lord, to be able to, to um, talk to people about Jesus and, and kind of influence for good without being negatively affected the other way, Lord God. We want to pray for your protection on us and we want to pray that you would help us to be influencers, Lord God, so that more and more the pe people around us and more and more people around us would be, you know, have that same heart and that same attitude and that same desire to live for God. Lord, would you help us in that in Jesus' name?